Well, good morning, everybody. So I just want to say welcome to all of you guys that are here with us in the house. Welcome to if you're joining us online or if you're on the backstage patio. Earlier we had a little summer rain going on. I'm not sure what it's like out there now if anybody's actually sitting out there. But welcome anyways just to everybody. My name's Justin. I serve as the next generation pastor here at HHICC. And a couple of times a year usually I have the privilege of getting to come and speak specifically about the next generation on Sundays. And it's one of my favorite things to do. It's one of my favorite things to talk about on a Sunday morning, obviously because I'm passionate about the next generation and want to see our church stirred up to invest more in them, but also just because I think it is basically the most important thing that we can talk about. Now, obviously the gospel is the most important, but in terms of what we as a church do, entrusting the gospel to the next generation is about as important as it gets. And so, I mean, if you really think about it and you hear me out on this, you think about like our seven value words that we have, which if you don't know what I'm talking about, as you leave today, they're on the backside of this wall right by the doors. Um, they're just seven things that we really value as a church and that we want to be. They're things like welcoming, entrusting, loving, growing, serving, giving, sending. And when you think about those things, right, we don't entrust the gospel so that we can welcome people or so that we can give to them or send to them. Right? We give to people. We welcome them. We send missionaries out in the world. We want to grow together so that the gospel will be entrusted to other people. That's kind of the overarching mission of what we're called to do. That's why our mission as a church is to passionately share the message of Jesus Christ and to lead people to follow him in trusting. Right? It's, it's the mission that Jesus gave us, the Great Commission, the call to go and make disciples. It's what we're called to do, to be witnesses to the world and to entrust the gospel. Now, it's true that that doesn't just have to be with young people, but I think it's fair for us to focus there. Different statistics or studies out there show that about 66 to 94 percent of American Christians begin to follow Jesus before the age of 18. It's a pretty critical time of life. And so I think it's important that we focus on entrusting the gospel to the next generation. And I think there's evidence of an emphasis on that all throughout Scripture. Uh, and not just throughout Scripture, but in the early church, too. If you think about in the New Testament, you see things like Jesus saying, let the little children come to me. You have stories about entire households coming to faith at the same time, that the kids are part of that, too. All right? Or uh, even if you think about really the disciples, I always love to share this with people because sometimes it kind of surprises us. A lot of times we think of the disciples or the apostles as these old men, but when they were following Jesus while Jesus was still walking the earth and leading them, the disciples were probably teenagers or maybe in their 20s at the latest. You know, Jesus started his ministry around the age of 30, and most of those guys were probably younger than him. Or you can think, too, about the apostle Paul and how he had a Timothy, right? Among other people that he was investing in the gospel in, Timothy was this younger man that he was investing in and entrusting the gospel to. And in fact, one of my favorite verses, and it's one that I use with our student ministry leaders pretty regularly, and I share it with them as kind of part of their training, is something that Paul said to Timothy. It's found in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Paul says this. He, he's talking to Timothy, and he says, You then, my child... Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 
and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You know, Paul basically says, I'm entrusting this gospel to you. You go out and entrust it to others too because that's really it's what we do. If we're following Jesus, that's what we're meant to do is to be invested and to be poured into and then to pour out to others. And that's been the story all along consistently throughout Scripture. If you look in the Old Testament too, there's numerous verses that we could look at, but just to pull one out, Psalm 145, verses 3 and 4, it says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. It has always been true of God's people that our part in his story is to pass on the story. That's what he calls us to. And there's nothing bigger and better or more important that we can be a part of than entrusting the gospel to the next generation. And if we could grasp that, I think we would see God do some amazing things in our families, in our church, our community, in our world. You know, there's a picture that's going to come up on the screen that's kind of near and dear to me. It's a picture of uh, my great-grandmother and my youngest, or well, my oldest daughter, Blakely, but she was pretty young at the time. It was not long after she was born. Uh, and my great-grandmother, her name was Anna Lewis Harris. She was 100 years old at the time this picture was taken. Uh, she was born in 1915. Blakely was uh, 2016. And uh, she passed away about six months after this. And Blakely isn't going to remember her, but I do. You know, I remember the experiences that I had with her, the things that we talked about. We've got a family Bible from her that she had from even generations before her, you know, that are part of our family. They're part of the legacy of faith, you know, that she helped to pass on of entrusting the gospel to the next generation. And God willing, a hundred years from now, Blakely will be a hundred-year-old lady in a picture with a baby who lives a hundred years after that. And it might sound like a little bit of a stretch, but it's entirely possible that Blakely herself could directly be a part of 300 years of the gospel being passed on in our family and being entrusted. And that's just in the family context. But the truth is that God doesn't want us to just invest in the biological next generation, right? He wants us to have spiritual children like Paul and Timothy to see stories like that be spread not just through our families, but through our church, through our brothers and sisters in Christ and through the spiritual children that we have. And that's what God calls us to. And he's inviting us to be part of amazing stories of the work that he is doing through generations. If we would just open our eyes to it, right? If we would see some of that. And that's part of the reason why we care so much about entrusting the gospel here. It's why we want to be an entrusting Church, we want to be intentional about sharing the message of Jesus Christ with the next generation because there's nothing bigger, better, or more important that we can do that's going to give God more glory than entrusting. If I had to sum that up again, I'd say it's intentionally sharing that message of Jesus with the next generation through our words, our lives, and our love pouring into them to pass the gospel. So that's our purpose. But here's the problem. It's not happening as much or exactly as like it should. 
You know, I don't mean to be discouraging this morning, um, and we could look at a lot of different statistics or things to support this, but I think it's fairly obvious that the American church hasn't done the best job of passing down the gospel, right? The one thing I'll say, you know, in the last 100 years, every generation has seen a statistical drop in the percentage of uh, those in the generation that identify as Christians, and the drops have gotten more dramatic in the last couple of generations, But rather than getting lost in some other statistics to support that, I would just sum it up like this. And again, this is a little stereotypical. I don't want to paint a too depressing picture of all our teenagers and kids out there. But it is true that Gen Z, our current teenagers, are the most anxious, depressed, lonely, and least religious generation of any generation since we've really been tracking those kind of statistics in the last 100 years. And there's so many things that we could talk about that go into that. But I think we just need to start with, if we care so much about our kids and the next generation, we need to ask, why is that happening? Why are those trends moving that next generation? What can we do about it? Anybody should be concerned about the next generation, but especially those of us that are followers of Jesus. Because of how we're called to pass on the gospel and entrust it to the next generation, we have to be concerned and to ask those questions. And I'll tell you this right off the bat, the answer is not just that people aren't in church as much anymore. That might be part of the problem among other things, but another worrying thing that we have seen more and more of is that kids who have grown up in church and have been a part of it are walking away from their faith later on. There's been some things in the last few years that have trended on social media that not everybody might be aware of, but it's kind of been a phenomenon called deconstruction going on where it's been kind of a viral thing for former Christian kids to share about why they've walked away from their faith or kind of the process that they've gone through with that. And I don't want to go too far into that, but we've got to realize it's not just an answer of get them in church. It's are we doing things as a church and as the church in America, capital C, to be as effective as possible in entrusting the gospel to the next generation? And I don't know that we are, right? I think it's fairly obvious the American church hasn't always done the best job of passing it on, and I think we might have wandered down some paths unintentionally that we didn't really intend to, where we don't do things exactly how we should, and we've kind of drifted down this. Our culture has kind of led us down these roads, and we've just been chugging along doing things how we think we should do things without realizing we might be in some spots that we don't want to be in. You know, when the lockdown started during COVID, we kind of all had to get some new hobbies. I don't know about you. I had a little extra time there for a couple months. And one of the things that our family got into was uh, going crabbing, you know, going and catching some of these blue crabs here on the island part of, uh, you know, living on the island. That's really cool. And we live not too far from Fish Hall Beach, uh, about a mile away or so. And so we kind of got in the habit of going over there and fishing in the marshes for crabs. And I say fishing, you know, even though it's technically crabbing, but we actually did go fishing. We did it a little unconventionally. We used the kids' little fishing rods, and we put you know, bait for the crabs on there, and we just had them cast out into the marsh with a bobber and everything. And the crabs, after a few minutes, usually they'll actually come along, they'll grab the bait, and they'll pull the bobber under. But here's the thing. Unlike a fish, right, they're not actually hooked. They just choose to come grab the bait and hang on to it. And so the kids know they've got to reel the crabs in nice and slow so that the crabs don't start to suspect that they're being led somewhere they don't want to go and let go. And if they do it right, they'll get them up to shore, and myself or one of the other kids is waiting with a net to scoop them up before they realize, you know, they're in a little bit of trouble. 
And church, I got to tell you that I think we have been led down some paths and we've held on to some things. Our culture has pulled us along into some things that maybe have taken us down some paths that we don't want to go, that have led us away from the lives and the faith and the church body life and the impact that God calls us to have. And so we, we need to ask ourselves some things to examine ourselves And I think the evidence of what I'm talking about is showing in the next generation. It can be really easy to come and sit in church week in and week out and think everything's fine and good. And I'm not just talking about specifically at our church again, talking about the church as a whole. But the evidence of what I'm talking about is showing in the next generation. It's showing in the way that so many young people aren't interested in Jesus, aren't interested in Christianity and the things of God because maybe we're not offering what is meant to be offered to them. And so we've got to examine ourselves a little bit because thankfully it's not too late to turn around to change things. God's always offering us the opportunity for repentance and wanting to lead us to more fruitful and effective lives and ministry with him. But we've got to start by examining ourselves. We have to start There, as tempting as it might be to blame social media and smartphones and whatever other societal factors that are out there that contribute to shaping our kids, we've got to look at ourselves first. But that's going to require that we let go of some things, that we turn towards what God is calling us to. And we'll talk about all of that a little bit more in a minute. But I want to start first with what is really God's plan for entrusting the gospel to the next generation. Because thankfully, I do think he offers us a clear plan of how we're meant to do this, how we're meant to live as the church and entrust the gospel to the next generation. And I think Paul explains it really clearly in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 14. This is the main passage we're going to be digging into for the rest of the morning if you want to turn there. Uh, This is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 that I'm going to pick up in. And we'll, we'll kind of come back to this passage or this area in scripture a few times this morning. But Paul starts, excuse me, he starts with this. He says, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So that it would be built up, that it would grow, that it would mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. And some of you might have heard this verse before. You might even have an idea of where I'm going with this, but I don't know that it's necessarily obvious at first. Because kind of the emphasis at the beginning of the verse, it seems to be this, and this might be what you pick up on. It's Paul says, God gave us apostles and evangelists and pastors and teachers and Through them, the church is going to be equipped and built up and mature and be full, and that's going to be great. And so maybe our solution is we just need, you know, more people to step up to be kind of leaders, to hop up on stage and, you know, get the kids in church to hear from those kind of teachers and people like me more often. But that's not what it says. The key is actually you. It's me. It's all of us together. You see what what Paul actually says in that verse? He says, you know, Paul gave the, or God gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of ministry. And then when God's people do their work, 
That's when you see the body of Christ grow and be built and mature and be full. That it's as God's people do his work, that everybody does their part, we grow. And really what the job of pastors and teachers and those other roles is, is to equip God's people to actually do the real work. To be a part of building the body all of us together doing their part. And he goes on and he explains this in the next couple of verses. Paul says, instead, and again, he's talking to all of us. This is not a description of pastors and teachers. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You know, Paul continues painting this picture of what it looks like to be the body of Christ, to be the church. And he goes back to each part, doing its work, or you know, doing its job, building each other up, supporting one another, together, carrying the load, and entrusting the gospel to the next generation, being part of what God is doing. But like so many other areas in our culture and industries where we have tended to specialize and mass produce, uh, we've kind of done that in church as well. We've placed the emphasis on, you know, charismatic teachers and a pastor who can kind of do everything. And we've lost a little bit of what it really means to be the church. That it's not sitting and listening and consuming teaching. It's being a part of the work, being equipped by a pastor or a teacher and people further along in the faith than us. But really for all of us to be a part of an organic body that's growing and working together to do what God calls us to do. And what Paul is describing there, this working together, this interconnectedness of the body, it's relationship. Doing the work of ministry, of entrusting the gospel, it inherently involves relationship. Not sitting and listening, but relating doing life together with one another. And so our job in entrusting the gospel is not just to communicate information. Sure, we, we, do, we need to communicate with care, but it's bigger than that. There has to be relationship. There has to be intentional investment and connection with one another beyond just sitting in a row. Right? We have to do life together to build some bridges, especially with the next generation. Because I think the old cliche that people don't care what you know until they know that you care is more true than ever. You know, statistics would show, again, that Gen Z and a lot of our younger people just are not naturally as interested in, in Jesus and Christianity and the things of God. They, they don't know why they need it. They don't want to hear about it unless it's communicated by somebody that they have a close relationship with. It changes the dynamic. You're willing to listen more. When you actually have a relationship, when you're doing life with somebody, when you see it in action beyond just as a piece of information sent to you. And that's what Paul and God call us to, but we have to be intentional about that. We can't just rely on passive passing or expecting the next generation that they're just gonna pick it up if we bring them to church with us you know, or send them to the right camp. We have to intentionally entrust the gospel to them because we entrust things that are precious to us to people that are precious to us through relationship, through caring for them. 
And as much as those things are good of, you know, making sure our kids are in church with us or sending them to youth group or making sure they're in a, you know, a good camp for the summer, those things will never replace or make up for a parent or an adult actually sitting down with them, doing life with them week in, week out, throughout their life, building that relationship, showing them what it means to be a believer, to follow Jesus and to walk out the gospel. Those things that I mentioned, they are great supplements, but they're not substitutes. They can never make up for those relationships and that depth of really walking with the next generation personally. You know, Paul goes on in the next verse, he says this, he says, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their thinking, They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. That sounds a little harsh, but it's true of all of us without Jesus. It's It's true of us still a little bit after Jesus, right? We're still messy. But I love how Paul puts this here. Right after he paints this picture of what it looks like to be the church, he makes sure that he makes this point. You have to live differently. That what he's describing is not some easy thing that we just become a part of. That it's, it takes intentionality. It takes following Jesus down a different road. That we're going to look different than the world. And church, we need to be reminded that we have to be different. We have to be different. The culture of God's kingdom is different. It doesn't look like the culture of our world. And so often, as American Christians, we try to cling to both. We want both and, and I wonder if the reason why so many American Christians feel tension, they feel ineffective or unfruitful or like they're torn in different things, isn't because we try to hold on to both and we don't let go of some of the things that God calls us to let go of. You know, to be a Christian in America, it basically means you believe in God, maybe occasionally you attend church, and other than that, you can kind of live like everybody else lives still. But to be a Christian according to Jesus, it's pretty radical. It means dying to yourself, giving up your dreams and your ways, surrendering your right to direct your own life, to submit to him, to follow where he wants you to go. It's different. And it's so rare that we see it. If I told you that somebody got about 75% of the student body at a school like Yale to start joining Bible studies and prayer groups, I imagine you'd be a little skeptical. I know I would be for sure, because that would be pretty impressive. Like, that's almost newsworthy. But here's the thing. It actually, somebody did do that. It's been a little while, but in the early 1900s, there was a young man named William Borden who actually did kind of lead a revival at Yale and got about 75% of the student body there to join some, some Bible studies and prayer groups. You can see a picture of him there. And here's the thing. William Borden was different. There were some really amazing things that God did through him. And probably the vast majority of you have never heard of him. He was uh, really kind of a famous missionary as part of uh, the missionary movement that took place in our country in the 1800s and into the early 1900s. But it's been a while. We don't know as much about him. 
And so I want to tell you a little bit about him because William Borden, like I said, he was different. He was the heir of a fortune that was worth millions of dollars. He had an Ivy League education at Yale, and he gave it all up to invest in missions and to go around the world and trusting the gospel to other people. And his story is pretty powerful. You know, not, not only did he impact the students at Yale, and one of the things that I love about his story is while he was at Yale, he had an entry in his journal that just said this. It said, say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. Say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. And I think he did that. You see, after he graduated, he went on to seminary for a short little bit, and then he set sail to go and be a missionary to Muslims in China. On his way there, though, he stopped in Egypt to spend some time learning Arabic so that he would be prepared to actually relate, uh, you know, and build relationships and connections and share the gospel with the Muslims in China. And while he was in Egypt, he contracted spinal meningitis and he died at the age of 25. Now, I think a lot of us hear that story, and our initial reaction is that that's a tragedy. You know, it's a waste of a life. Like, what could he have done if he hadn't done something risky like that? But I don't think God sees it that way. You see, William Borden's fortune and his will, he left it all to missions organizations, and his story, especially, you know, with all those students back at Yale that he impacted, went on and inspired countless other missionaries to go across the world to entrust the gospel to others. And so God used his life to do some amazing things because he was different. He was willing to let go of some of the things that so many people in his community and in the culture didn't want to let go of. Power and wealth and health. He was willing to put it on the line and to risk it, to entrust the gospel to the next generation. And he let go of those things and followed where God led him. And church, I believe that there are some things that we can let go of where God will lead us to deeper and more fruitful and more effective entrusting of the gospel. But we have to be willing to let some of those things go. And so as we kind of get towards the end of this morning, I want to talk about three cultural changes that we can make, things that we kind of need to let go of to allow God to lead us more towards, I think, the, the fullness of what he wants us to be a part of. And so at times, this is going to sound a little bit like there's things that the next generation, or these are things that the next generation, really they need to change. But I want to remind us, right, kids are kids. They're growing up in the world that we have created for them. And so these are really shifts that we need to change. We need to lead the way for the next generation away from these things and into the things that God calls us to. And so three cultural changes I think we need to make. The first one is this. We need to change from a culture of disconnect to a culture of depth. We need to shift from a culture of disconnect to a culture of depth. So much of the conversation around Gen Z, you know, kind of out there, especially among older generations, is, you know, the impact of social media and smartphones and things like that, how much time they spend on screens. And, you know, we lament the fact that, you know, maybe kids don't have the same interpersonal skills or, you know, relate the same. And when a group of friends hangs out, all of them are on their phones and things like that. But again, I think we've got to start with ourselves examining our own lives and asking, are they really seeing anything much better from us? And I'm not just talking about our digital habits, although I think we might have some things to change there too. Right? Most of the next generation, when they think of the church, 
They just think it's an event to go to. It's a place where some services happen. They don't necessarily see it or understand it as a people to be a part of, a body to be connected with. And that's what we've got to get back to. You know, it's great that we put an emphasis and we track, you know, we track statistics of how often kids are in church and things like that, but at the end of the day, it's a much, much smaller percentage of kids that don't just sit in rows, but actually see their families doing the Christian life, you know, maybe meeting with small groups in their homes, going out and serving regularly, sitting down and talking about the gospel together and praying and intentionally making sure it's being entrusted and passed on. But those are the kind of things where relationship is built and where the gospel gets entrusted and transformation happens. That's what God calls us to do, to be a body working together and trusting the gospel, organically living it out day in and day out. The other six days, the way that we talk about it here at the church, not just for an hour on Sunday mornings. You know, if you separate a part of the body, right, it, it doesn't do very well. It decomposes, it dies, it disappears. And it is abundantly obvious that just attending church on Sunday morning, sitting in a service, doesn't build the kind of connection and relationship that really yields health and maturity and allows us to entrust the gospel to one another. It takes more than that. It takes time, which means sometimes we might have to ask ourselves if we need to let go of some other things. Maybe work a little less. Put the golf clubs down a little more often. No, I know that's personal. I have shots fired, but sorry, God. Like, right? We, we have to ask, what does God call us to? How can we really build those connections? Because the next generation needs us to do that, to build depth and relationship with them, to entrust the gospel to them week in and week out, to lead them from disconnect to depth. You know, another change I think that we need to see in our culture is we need to see a shift from a culture of entitlement to a culture of expectation. And here's what I mean by that. This is another one that can be really easy to like focus on the next generation because we do hear a lot of talk about millennials and Gen Z and how entitled they can be. And I, I'm a millennial, so I'll even say, you know, it is a little bit true for sure. I'll throw my own generation under the bus. But again, we have to be reminded that our kids the next generation are just shaped by the world that they live in, that we've built for them. So we got to start by examining ourselves and recognizing, again, I think all of us struggle with that. We all want what we want when we want it. But God calls us to a different culture, to not just expect to receive or be entitled to receiving, kind of in the same way in our churches, how we've shifted to this model where we kind of just sit and listen and receive, and that's all that's expected of us. You know, we've got to look beyond that to see what God really calls us to, that things might be expected of us, that we don't just expect to receive things, but we are expected to contribute things, to be a part of the body, the way God calls us to do that. And if we want to see our cha a change in our culture and in the next generation, we've got to lead the way in that. We need to start expecting much of ourselves and of them and to teach them to expect the right things from God. And the two go together. What's really neat is that when, when you actually expect much of somebody, right, they're going to have to expect much from God. 
And not some of the things our culture has trained us to expect, that we should expect health, wealth, success, and that kind of stuff. But that we expect God to support us, to grow us, that when we're really on mission with him, he's going to be there with us, in the fire, supporting us, strengthening us, connecting us, walking with us, giving us the strength to do hard things. Things like, for example, giving up your wealth. And going overseas to be a missionary. Now, maybe that's not going to be what we're all called to, but God calls all of us to hard things, and we're expected to be a part of the body. But I think we struggle with that because of another shift that we need to make. The third shift is this. It's that we need to shift from a culture of comfort to a culture of courage. Beyond just sitting and, and being comfort and finding our, or being comfortable and finding our own entertainment. Your studies show that American adults' top emotion about the next generation, if you survey parents or just general adults, what do you think about the next generation? What do you feel uh, about kids? The number one answer is concern. It's fear and worry. You know, that when we look at the next generation, parents and adults, older generations are worried. And it's understandable to care about our children and the next generation and be concerned about them. But I think part of the reason why the statistics are so high of how worried and anxious parents are is because we've made an idol out of comfort and safety in our culture. We expect all happiness and good things and success for our kids, and that's not the picture that God paints for us of what the Christian life looks like. We forget that God's in control and that he will lead us to some hard places. And what happens is when we're fearful, when our focus isn't in the right place, we tend to try to take control especially of our kids' lives. We try to keep them safe and happy and spare them from any challenges or hard things or suffering. But when we do that, we do them an injustice. And what happens is our fear for them actually makes them fearful because they grow up thinking, oh, I'm not supposed to do these hard things or life is supposed to always be easy. And when, it ha when bad things happen, it's scary and I can't handle it. And so we have to show our kids true expectations of what it looks like to follow Jesus because when we allow them to grow up expecting the wrong things and being fearful, that fear kills their faith. You know, one of the best definitions that I've heard of faith, the one that I use usually and that I really like is this, it's that faith is taking a risk in the belief that God can be trusted. Faith isn't just believing in God or even just believing in Jesus. It's acting on that. And because of that, believing who God is and what he's done and that I can trust that, I can take risks, I can do the things that he's called me to do. And we have to invite our next, invite our next generation into that kind of faith where they're expected to be a part of the body and where we step out and all of us together do our part to advance the kingdom and entrust the gospel. Now, as we wrap up, there's a variety of ways that we can do that, but I just want to give a couple practical little things for us to think about, ways that we can do that. And I want to make this point. The point of this morning, I hope, is not to make you feel guilty or like we're not doing enough. Again, I'm not just talking about our church, but the church in general. And we have to realize that we can't change our culture, uh, and we're not called to change our culture overnight. But we can let go of some of the things that we've been clinging to and take one small step towards what God invites us into, towards the fullness, the health, the maturity that he wants to see in his church and in our culture. We can do that. 
And so start with this. Some of you guys are doing some amazing things, but some of you, maybe you just spend an hour a week in church. You come and you sit, and that's about the extent of it. What might God be inviting you to be a part of beyond that, to really be a part of the body? Because if all you're doing is just coming and sitting in church for a service, it's not enough. It's not the fullness of what God has for you. You won't develop the connections where real transformation and impact and God's work in your life will really happen. And so God invites us into that. And the reason why, this, it kind of doesn't make sense to us. I think, you know, we think, well, if I just come and sit and receive, like, that's going to be great for me. Maybe, I don't, maybe you don't think you have the energy or the qualifications to pour out onto others. But the truth is, is that when we pour out, we actually get more filled up. It's God's upside down kingdom, right? We are filled so that we can pour onto others. That's how God's kingdom operates, is that as we do our part, it strengthens us, it strengthens them, it fills us up even more. And we need that here. We need people specifically in this church to get on board with that vision of how God calls us to be the body, to be the church, and to entrust the gospel to the next generation. And there are so many ways and opportunities that you can do that. You know, it could be serving in Island Kids or HHI students or even other things if we brought it out. Serving with our partners, leading a group. There's so many ways to get more invested and more connected. And I believe, and I know Todd believes, that we're in a special season as a church for that where God is calling us to give more things away for, for us as a body to take more ownership of the ministries and the things that our church does to step up. Because when we have that kind of model, Right, it might seem like I'm trying to get out of some work here, but the truth is, right, our church will have so much more impact when all the parts of the body do its work, when they do their part, that that's how God impacts us and impacts our community. Our church can't just be a place that has a great youth program or a kids ministry that's dependent on, you know, a pastor or some key volunteers to run it because as we know, right, Pastors or key volunteers won't always be there, but we can become a people that does it together, that is deeply invested in being the body and entrusting the gospel to the next generation. And I promise you, if you step out to do that, you'll be glad you did. I've had the privilege of seeing it multiple times with different people in our own church and other times in my ministry. And I actually want you guys to get the opportunity to see that as well. And so I want to invite you to turn your attention to the screens. Hi, I'm Joanne, and I serve in Island Kids at Hilton Head Island Community Church. One of the reasons I love investing in Island Kids is the opportunity not only to serve God, but to bring kids closer to Christ and lead them to follow Him. So one thing which is great about the opportunity to serve is I'm given the opportunity to serve in a morning service, but also have the flexibility to be able to attend a church service on Sunday mornings. And that has been very instrumental in the fact that I'm able to serve and participate and view the service as well. So I would really encourage anybody who's thinking about doing this, that they're still gonna have the opportunity to serve, but they're also have the opportunity to attend service as well. So. It's a win-win situation, and you can't go wrong when you decide if you're gonna serve an island kids.
So if you're sitting here and you're watching this video and you think that you have absolutely nothing to offer or that you couldn't possibly be qualified to participate and volunteer with Island Kids or the student ministry, I highly encourage you to listen to God. And as you guys all know, God has the upside down kingdom oriented for us. He doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. And if you've called, if you've been called to do something, he's already equipped you to be able to do it. So the next generation is just there waiting for you to reach out and touch these hearts of these kids and students and share the gospel with them. They're hungry for it and it'll really lead you and them in a direction towards Christ. can't tell you enough how much I love Joanne and her story, uh, because in addition to serving in Island Kids, she also serves with our student ministry on Wednesday nights, and so I've gotten to see firsthand kind of her journey of stepping out to do something that she was very afraid of to start with, but is doing such an amazing job and seeing how God has worked in her life, and so I'm so, so thankful for her story the story of others like her, but I'm also really thankful for this lady right here. If you don't know, this is Savannah Reiner. If you guys would just welcome her. <laughs> Savannah is a huge part of our Islands Kids Ministry. She kind of has stepped up to really help us out over there. And so Savannah, why don't you just kind of share a little bit of what's going on in Island Kids back there, maybe some of the needs that you've seen in the kids ministry. Thank you. So that's actually a great question. We currently have two different things going on in Island Kids. Wednesday nights, we have KSG Kids, which I love because it gives the children an opportunity halfway through the week to learn a little bit more about Jesus and to be like them. And then on Sundays, we have two services, just like the same as these, and you have four different classrooms, and we are in need of volunteers that can just pour into these kids' lives all the way from infants to fifth grade, and there's just some great opportunities, even check-in. There is an opportunity for everyone. They have a ton of fun back there. I can tell you that. I know some of you guys, you may have come into this room and gone out of this room and never even really seen kind of what all is back in the back in our Island Kids Ministry. It is an amazing space. They, they do some awesome things back there, and it's a lot of fun. And so there are definitely opportunities to jump in back there. I also know, um, you know that we have opportunities with our students on Wednesday nights. We have people that come week in and week out that serve as group leaders with our students and invest kind of through something that I call our Timothy Project, that it really is just kind of a training and a, uh, an intentional effort within our student ministry to build relationships, just like Paul with Timothy, where our leaders kind of are given ownership of, you know, a few students that they are meant to kind of intentionally pursue uh, and build relationships with. Maybe send a text, you know, wish them happy birthday, something like that, beyond just the hour a week of Wednesday nights or Sunday morning. And there's so many different opportunities like that. And so we're actually going to have an opportunity to talk about all of that a little bit tonight at our next generation orientation that's going to take place. And so Savannah, why don't you share a little bit of the details about that? So first, I would love to see all of you there. If you have been volunteering for a couple of years, if you want to learn about how to volunteer, or if you would just like to get us just to get to know us a little bit better, we would love for you to join us. We will have free food and then have an orientation. So everyone is welcome, and I would love to see you all there. 
Hey, you have me at free food for sure. I know we make that joke a lot, but like this is really going to be some good food. We've got some club seats catering tonight. It's going to be really good. Don't come just because of that, but you can kind of come just because of that if you want. You know, We are going to talk about the next generation, though. So parents, if you are a parent of uh, an island kid or middle schooler or high schooler, we want to encourage you to be there for sure. But also, even if you're not a parent, just if you have an inkling of Maybe God's leading you to invest more in the next generation, to be more connected, to take one small step. It doesn't commit you to anything. Maybe your small step is just coming and learning more about what God is doing with the next generation at our church. We want to invite you to come and to be a part of that. It's going to be a great time, and we're really looking forward to it, so we hope we see you there. And so, guys, just thank you so much for being here, for being a part of this. We hope that we will see you later tonight. Uh, at our Next Generation Orientation, and we hope you guys all have a wonderful Sunday. You guys are dismissed.